From Rixie, this is Frameform. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Wednesday here at Frameform. This week, we're thrilled to present an interview with The Physical TV Company. The Physical TV Company is directed by Richard James Allen and Karen Perlman and is Australia's premier company for the production and distribution of screen dance, dance film, video dance, or as they term it, stories told by the body. Jen had an illuminating conversation with Karen and Richard about their multi-decade collaboration and how, among other things, they derive inspiration from classic cinema and reframe cinema's history in the process. Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us, Karen and Richard. As you know, I've been such a fan of your work for years, and um, particularly Digital Afterlives and Women with an Editing Bench. I just think are so uh, important and just such amazing works, and we're really excited to talk to you today in a special series we are calling Rewind because we want to talk about how dance film and screen dance has changed over the decades and people that have been in this field um, for a longer time working with different technologies and really seeing it evolve and also being such influential creators in this as well. So first of all, for our listeners that don't know you, we are going to link a bunch of stuff in the show notes. So that should help them uh, get some easy access to you and, and your work and to get familiar if they aren't already. But do you mind sharing, first of all, who Richard and Karen are and what is this collaboration physical TV company? All right. Shall I jump in on that one? Go um, for it. We are Karen Perlman and Richard James Allen. Um, together, we founded the Physical TV Company about 20 years ago now. And it was founded on the back of uh, another 10-year career we had together as co-directors of a dance company called That Was Fast. So we established That Was Fast in New York as a <laughs> duet company. It was always a cinematic blend of text and dance action. So we're right from the get-go, computer technology, computer-generated film screen work, screen work made for television, screen work made to go with the stage and and live performances, um, and a blend of what makes physical TV unique, which is our approach um, centers on what we call stories told by the body. So we're very interested in, in cinema and in cinema history. Coming out of long careers as dancers, we get really interested in what's possible and what's been explored artistically in cinema. And a lot of our film work ends up being quite narrative in a way or driven by character and um, things that you would call narrative, which makes it different from lots of other work. Not better or worse, just a different approach that we take. Well, and it also makes it more accessible to audiences as well, because usually, I mean, it doesn't matter what group of people you're talking to. They could be artists or they could be people that are professionals in the field or they could just be audience members and enthusiasts. But so often what comes up is audiences just want a story that they can somewhat understand and therefore feel something. And that's something that really charmed me about Digital Afterlives is just like the style and the clear aesthetic and the references and that nostalgia that you get from cinema. So I just think that's so cool. And what an honor to have you on the program today to talk about how you've blended these technologies over time as well. Um, so Richard, how is your perspective of the of the collaboration and, and how did this sort of uh, develop over the years as you 
were established as a company and started screening all over the world and such? Well, I think I agree with everything Karen said, of course. Um, It's interesting looking way back, just having a kind of deep look back that when we started, we were both children of postmodernism. We had, you know, studied with leaders in the postmodern era. And I remember feeling very, even though I truly respected all those people uh, in the dance scene in New York, I really felt like we wanted, I wanted to bring, we wanted to bring content and story and character and themes and ideas into the dance work, even when we were doing the live work, because a lot of that work was sort of dance for dance sake, just and very kind of in a way quite alienating to an audience. And we we didn't want to go back to ballet, to that sort of narrative. We wanted to take on board the, all the developments and the kind of understanding of the fractured complexity of reality, language, dance, humanity, our minds, everything that came from postmodernism, but we wanted to find some more content and put it back in. So right from the beginning, I think we were uh, in the dance work, we were we were already looking for those sorts of ways to create more meaning. And then, as Karen said, when we got into film, we sort of lent more into the um, dance film end of, of screen dance as opposed to uh, what we described at one point in the Venn diagram as there's sort of dance, there's screen dance that focuses on dance, there's screen dance that focuses on visual art, and the screen dance focuses on cinema. And ours was more interested really in in cinema um, because, because it's sort of more encompassing. It includes all the other things, but it has this opportunity to to uh, to explore, you know, powerful themes of humanity. I have to interject right there because when you said Venn diagram, it's like my, I have to pick my cartoon jaw off the floor because every time I do – a dance cinema workshop, and I chose to to call my company Dance Cinema because of that flexibility. It could be live performance. It could be just a cinematic approach to teaching dance or learning dance history. Um, anyway, I always use that Venn diagram, and I'd never thought about combining that third facet of visual art. That's always something I kind of absorbed into the other two, but you're so right that that really is sort of its own standalone category that contributes, and certainly given your background and and how you both found your way and your your path and um, sort of wove your career together, I think it totally makes sense that you would have that emphasis on visual art and it definitely comes through with a strong visual identity in your work. What has been your creative process over time and has it changed dramatically? Have you found ways to maybe be more efficient or maybe decide to do less and sort of savor more? What has that been like? Uh, We... We have found uh, over the years many different ways of working together, and fortunately, each time we're in a different way of working or working together, we think, oh, this is it. This is the ideal one. We've got there. But we, well, <laughs> they change all the time. <laughs> we, we now think we're in an, a highly ideal configuration. Um, mostly what happens now is that... Um, one or the other of us will be directing at a given time. Not always. We both directed Digital Afterlives, for example. But um, by taking that position of being the person who is trying to express some kind of unified, coherent, um, visual and cinematic and dance kinesthetic idea, that's one person's job. And then the then somebody else 
comes in. So if I'm directing, for example, Richard comes in as producer. If Richard's directing, I come in as editor, right? So so Richard is a gun producer. He's a, just tops. Uh, I'm not a very good producer. So sadly, Richard also has to do quite a lot of producing on all his own films. Uh, I am a pretty good editor, though, so I'm happy to bring that kind of skill base to our collaboration. And that's probably why you just zeroed in on your project, Woman with an Editing Bench. And I would like to take some time to talk about that, because what part of my entry point into dance film or screen dance was, was having a dance background, but being in film class and seeing those city symphonies, seeing Man with the Movie Camera, and just falling in love with the dance of editing and how that is choreography. And um, also just how film captures dance in a way that makes it, you know, it defies its nature, defies like that, that annoying thing about it, that ephemerality. So what was your um, impetus to finally say, you know what, I'm actually going to take on this huge cinematic treasure and you know, pull back the curtain and show not the man behind the curtain, but actually the woman at the editing bench. So, well, like you, Jen, um, I, I absolutely have such a deeply connected feeling for that Soviet montage, for the, the 1920s, the editing that's going on there. It's just so kinesthetic and so enlivening and sparkling and wonderful. So when I was head of screen studies at the National Film School here in Australia, I would often teach it. I would teach Man with a Movie Camera. And for a while there, I was making a joke to my students and say, you know, this film is spectacular. It's, um, but what's really great about it is the editing. Shouldn't it be called Woman with an Editing Bench, right? And then I found out that the woman that you see on screen editing Man with a Movie Camera is actually the director's wife and editor and lifelong collaborator, Elitsa Vetisvilova. And I thought, this is not a joke. We need to make this movie. This is a calling. We got to make Woman with Netting Bench. And since then, I've actually made two more uh, films in the trilogy. And they're, they're all really focused on this kind of idea that editing as a form of choreography that we can express these women's thoughts and ideas through editing. That's where they express their thoughts and ideas. So I'll happy, happily link your listeners to one of the, one, the next one of the trilogy that's available free and online if you'd like me to do so. We'll take it. Okay. We'll take whatever we can get. Okay. <laughs> I wish that Soviet montage was still in trend. Like we see different sorts of editing trends that come in and out. And I just remember seeing it for the first time, just being so enchanted right away. It's like the first time you see a Disney musical number as a child, it just kind of sears itself into your memory. Um, is there anything that uh, maybe each of you could share something that is a trend that you've seen that, you know, maybe has come and gone that you love or you miss or something that just irritates you completely that you're like, please, can this never come back? Thank you very much. Well, I've got one or two or three, but Richard, maybe you have some that you that you want to. No, it's fine. Um, Let's go for it, Karen. Go off, Karen. So my research is about creative practice, cognition and feminist film histories at this point. And um, one of the things that I've really started to notice is that in early film, uh, there, were a, there was a lot more innovation in form. 
there was like a film could be could be part documentary, part drama, part animation, part dance, part you know comedy, part melodrama. It was very free flowing and formal. And what you find when you look at the most wildly formally inventive ones is that they're very often being made by women. And then what we have in the present is we've really got two kinds of film. We've got dance, sorry, that's the third kind, dance film. We've got drama and we've got documentary. It's either fiction or it's documentary. And I just feel like, no, it's not. <laughs> it could be all kinds of wild and wonderful <laughs> things. And, um, you know, those hybrids, as we call them, shouldn't be like a third form of cinema. There are there's lots there that could just be a central form of cinema. So I miss that. That's what I'd be looking for to come back. We can be genre fluid. One of your projects, The Dancer from the Dance, is actually listed as a hybrid doc. And I thought that was so cool and actually perhaps more reflective of what it really is. Um, you know, some people say dance cinema, screen dance, dance film, dance for camera. It is a hybrid form. So I think it's only appropriate, as you mentioned, that we would see it as sort of uh, more a fluid form or genre fluid. Um, what about editing or any other kind of trends that you've seen over the years? Richard, and anything that you particularly like or dislike? Well, I remember, you know, when we were, when we first came back from uh, New York and we were living in Australia, we were working on a film and Natural Born Killers was on. And um, I was really excited by the editing of that. The sort of, that was, you know, that was really influenced at that point by the MTV generation. And I think we, we really kind of kicked that into some of our early dance films like What to Name Your Baby, um, and just to kind of break down the idea that a dance film needs to be, you know, just a representation of the live dance, but to really take it into a, it's a cinematic form. Um, and I think that relates back to the whole montage, montage questions we're discussing before, the idea that, um, you know, I think there's sometimes a bit of a tendency to think that dance films, screen dance, whatever you want to call it, is some sort of just an extension of a live performance, but really it's its own art form, uh, a parallel art form, one might say, and um, it has you know its own people who've worked in it and it has its own potential, which is actually very, very different and in lots of ways more exciting than the theatrical space. Um, so that was one of the things I remember thinking, well, we can just change the way we think about dance altogether once we put it into that screen space. Totally. I mean, I was able to screen digital afterlives at two festivals, you know, Vancouver, BC and in Washington, DC. And I would not have been able to afford to fly you in from Australia <laughs> and both have you there. Um, not, not on my <laughs> indie budget, you know? So I yeah. think something that's great about screen dance that was, you know, a lot of people were hip to before COVID was you're able to program this super amazing evening of, 10 or 12 international artists coming together and in a way that you wouldn't be able to make possible if they were there live in person. Of course, you can't replace or substitute live performance. Film will never, I hope, and maybe if it ever does get to the point, it'll be creepy all over again. Uh, it'll never replicate a live performance, but it, it has its own magic to it and its own strengths and uh, ways that I think is very satisfying and also really important to do um, just to preserve work and not have it be so fleeting. Mm. Well, we, we toured a lot when we were doing live work and 
um, we had this sort of running joke. There was a film, I think it was Lethal Weapon or some film by with Mel Gibson. And everywhere we went around England, we went to 26 cities in England. He was there first and he was in all the cities we bypassed. And we're like, what? This is so much work. We're carrying our bags. We're setting up the theater. This guy's just in this movie and he doesn't have to do anything. And, you know, we definitely had this realization that a film could travel in a way that it's just physically not possible. And also that obviously you do a performance which is very special with the audience, you can capture this moment, but it, as you say, it just disappears into the ether. Um, and to be able to create something which can last and also allow you as an artist to move on to other projects and that project is still going so that the projects sort of accumulate and you just turn your attention to something else, but the project's still there. So that's, um, that's a huge blessing. It's a form of scalability almost and as artistic inclined people sometimes we don't always think of things in a business or an entrepreneurial fashion where it's like how can I proceduralize this how can I make my time more efficient because we're not doing it for that reason we're doing it because of this creative impulse or this love for something and it is a really smart way to make a career out of what otherwise might only be a hobby if, if you weren't able to sort of make those practical things pan out and I think what I really admire about you as a company and as a collaboration as, and as individuals is how you've diversified your creative practice as well. Um, you know, on your website, you have your poems, you have your essays, you're writing, you're creating things, you're on screen, you're, you're doing all these different things. And it's just such a dynamic practice. So I just love that about you, too, and about um, the way that that comes across in the work that you make. Thank you, Jen. That's really lovely to hear. Thank you. I would just add, you know, it's there's there's a commercial, you know, I, I, commercial is a dirty word for most of us in in the arts, but you know that it it whatever it's a it's it is is scalable is a great word. Sustainable is another great word. You know, in terms of practice, uh, longevity, archive, all those things. You know, sustainability, all really good. I would just add that um, in this moment that we live in at there's a um I, I guess I would say that you know perception and minds are different than they were say a hundred years ago and that is in part because of cinema it is harder for people to w watch things that unfold in continuous you know time and it is um in some ways a, a way in to dance ideas when you can put something on screen that is dealing with time as part of its art form in both in its movement qualities and its editing so it's a kind of another mode of address one that speaks potentially to our moment very effectively and allows people a way into the arts and into dance that they might otherwise not be able to have and I love that you identified there how cinema has absolutely changed the way that we think, changed the way that we understand things. I mean, especially when you look at the world now and pre-internet cinema and print media, that was how we actually got to explore other parts of the world if we couldn't physically go there. And I'm wondering if anything about your particular, you know, being in New York and then being in Australia, how that experience was different. Because even being in New York versus being in LA or being in another major US city or anywhere else um, would change your experience. So how has it been different for you, um, you know, working and living in these different places? Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm born in the United States, as you can probably hear. Richard is born in Australia. Um, 
we toured a lot in you know the in our dance career and then we kind of settled in Australia um and they have this expression in Australia which had a lot of meaning at the time and has almost no meaning now but when we first got here it was like everybody was still freaked out by what they call the tyranny of distance and this comes from the you know this it's a vast land australia it's really big and it's very very far from you know the cent europe and new york and all of these places where people felt oh that's where our culture really is and you know the 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 people who settled who colonized australia were still thinking about mm. those places as their cultural centers um we f- were very uncomfortable <laughs> with that concept. But one thing that dance film allows us to do is to just overcome that tyranny of distance. Um, and now that, that phrase has very little meaning anymore because distance is very different concept. Well, in the world we live in with technology now, it's almost like the tyranny of zero privacy and zero distance from anything. <laughs> well, look... I, I think um, it's funny because I kind of had this feeling like I was always going to go to New York. Um, it was sort of like in my destiny to go to New York. And and other things as well I felt were in my destiny, which I think Karen sort of fulfilled Aww. that I won't go into all the details of that. But, uh, um, you know, one of the things I think about um, New York was it was this incredible, it was like... Um, jumping in the fast lane of a swimming pool and you sort of, everything's just go, go, go. And and I felt like I was just really so privileged to be, you know, taking class with the, you know, literally the best dancers in the world and, and you know, being in these incredible places and dancing in, with incredible choreographers and then making our own work. And it was really amazing. Um, but I did notice that we were very much sort of just inside that world of dance. And was, you know, we basically just knew dancers and it was a very, very kind of inside that scene. And what I noticed about when we came back to Australia was our horizons sort of broadened. Uh, I felt our horizons thematically broadened and our contacts sort of broadened. And I think that that was basically a really good thing for our work because I think, not that I you know, didn't appreciate the work we did in New York, but I think that the positive of coming back to Australia was to kind of connect to the breadth of society, the, the whole of life from, you know, babies to grandparents' birth to death, um, a sort of a broader spectrum of society, uh, people in different areas besides dance and theatre and film, performance and literature, I mean, we already had all that in our background and we were doing where we could, but in New York it was sort of very focused into the dance world, whereas we feel like uh, we've connected more broadly and I think that comes back to some of the things you were talking about before about trying to create work that actually communicates to everybody. So not just with Digital Afterlives, but with your other work as well, it's very clear that there's this... um, ability that you have with this strong visual vocabulary. And I just wonder if you have some background or professional experience that's contributing to your ability to just convey things so well through a visual medium. I think that I've always been interested in a number of media besides dance. I mean, I have, I've been a poet 
for my whole life, and that's kind of a really central part of my practice. I, I did study visual arts, and my brother is a is a major art critic in Australia. I'm very interested in theatre and acting and character, and I think um, it's sort of it's not so much. It, it is, I guess, it's about creating the visual space. It's also about creating the um, the sort of interiority of the meaning, if that makes any sense. I mean, just to go back to Digital Afterlife for a sec, um, when we were doing that, I thought, okay, I'm going to make this as a work of acting as well as a work of dance. And I and I conceived of it completely as much as a piece of acting and theatre as I did as a work of dance, so that I, I wanted to create a character with motivations and obstacles and all the stuff that you do with an interiority and backstory and all the things you do with character um, and also have this dance, the dance element of that. And for a long, and this is sort of, a, in a way, a fulfilment of something I've been working on for a long time where I've been trying to blend the languages, the theories and the practices of acting and the languages and the theories and the practices of dance. And it all comes back to that idea of creating content and meaning. And that's so necessary too. I mean, I think that's why that work was so popular and, you know, popular slime sounds like a bad word, but it's, in this case, it's a very good word. It's something that I think audiences very much appreciate and, and leaves an impression with them. And it's kind of a running joke that dancers are not good actors and actresses. So uh, dancers, if you're listening, take those acting classes get good at improv, get comfortable using your entire face as a canvas because it will absolutely change your performance and not to mention full body acting. And as you said, creating this rich internal world so that you're conveying a a clear, strong character. Exactly. And, and I would just add to that, go back and watch some silent movies too. I mean, I think, you know, particularly Digital Afterlives, but a lot of Richard's creation of embodied characters comes um, is inspired by performers like Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and, you know, Mary Pickford and the, those people who are, you know, their acting style is kind of over the top for our contemporary taste. But when you go out to those long shots and you're seeing their whole body is engaged in the space and engaged in that expressive quality and that they are, in fact, telling the story through their encounters with the world, that's quite inspiring. And there's such a physicality to their performance as well. And dance and comedy, you know, in vaudeville, these all have a shared history. So I think the more that we... Um, sort of peel back the layers and don't see them as these separate boxes, we can actually strengthen each one. Do you all have like a favorite performer or thinker? I I do think of them as thinkers, especially someone like Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin, like who's create just like the physics that go into not just imagining, but then executing this sort of illusion um, or not even an illusion, sometimes an actual trick before your eyes. Is there someone that, um, clearly I'm a Keaton fan, Um, is there anyone that uh, you particularly like from that era? One of the first movies that Richard and I ever saw together was Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times. Oh, so good. um, It's so good. It's actually my favorite of of his oeuvre. And, um, you know, clearly Richard is that Charlie Chaplin character and clearly... I'm Paulette Goddard in that movie. That's, <laughs> You're that's like, my life is like a movie. to become. That's it. I so love I think, that I so much. I think she's amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I would just, I totally agree with all that. And I just, um, maybe it's a little bit more esoteric, but I would um, point people in the direction of Michael Chekhov, who is um, uh, an acting teacher from Russia who, um, he was related to the, the famous Chekhov who wrote the novels. I think he's his nephew or something. He studied with Stanislavski, had a nervous breakdown. So you know he's good. Doing all the kind of uh, recalling his life experiences and kind of reliving them. So, well, no, but it, he sort of couldn't cope with that. So he created his own whole system. But it's a system based on internal imaging. Um, and um, I used it a lot in this feature film that I've been acting in called Bloodshot Heart. Shout out. Which is out and about at the moment, and people seem to be quite enjoying that film, the feature. But um, it's a really interesting because it's like you have to um, dance with images in your mind which then embody into your physicality. Without even intending it, this ended up answering one of my next questions, which was, what advice do you have for people that are in front and behind the camera when it comes to the practice of getting involved in dance film or screen dance? So I think, you know, some of the lessons I'm hearing from this conversation are maybe don't live in the same place your whole life. Maybe like try moving around, uh, encourage collaboration. Don't be afraid to study with the greats and put yourself out there. Um, don't be afraid to experiment, diversify with the kind of creative work you're doing. What other things have you been stellar examples of? Um, <laughs> what other lessons do you have for, for people in this, in this field? I think it's a really good idea to study the history of film and to study filmmaking. We both studied actual filmmaking. You know, our, our, um, our work is not dance for camera. It's not just like, oh, we picked up a camera in the studio and that's the whole thing. That's just like, that's just the beginning first shades of drafts. So, you know, it, 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 it's thinking about the whole language of what cinema can do in relation to dance. So I would recommend that. And then, yeah, having, and then studying what happened in the past, because I noticed, you know, sometimes I t when we've done some teaching, I noticed that a lot of our works are kind of homages or in, they're in conversation with, you know, great artists of the past, like Maya Deren or Charlie Chaplin or, uh, Shirley Clark. you know, uh, other uh, Shirley Clark, other people. And there's this kind of way in which we've learned from them and we're sort of bringing some of their ideas forward into the technologies of the day. And I think that's really important. That's like, a, you know, I'm, I remember uh, when Winton, this was a while back now because he's now a classic guy, but I remember when we were young and Winton Marsalis was a up-and-coming jazz musician. He was constantly talking about the tradition and reinventing it and extending it. And I found that very inspiring as an idea, uh, the idea that you you know, you connect to your tradition, you reinvent, you extend it. And I think that's one of the things we've tried to do with our dance films. So there's a kind of homage back and pay forward. I would just add to that, that um, maybe think about your own habits as a transferable skill and think about thinking in other ways. So for example, um, Dancers think that what they that what they do is dance, but in fact, what they do is they manipulate movement and time and energy to make significant form. Well, guess what? That's what they do in cinema as well. 
you know, that's actually what an editor is specifically doing. So you can, tr you, you don't need to dance in order to make dance film. And similarly, coming back from, you know, a lot, I, I teach filmmaking in, in university now, and a, a lot, I'm constantly talking to my students about, yeah, well, look, you can just think about narrative, just think about story and so shots and so forth. But if you start thinking about time and energy and movement, that is going to enrich the cinematic experience that you create for an audience. So getting filmmakers to think like dancers and dancers to think like filmmakers, there's a, a rich brew there to be made. Amen. Mic drop. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of an expensive piece of equipment, so I'm not going to knock over my table mic, but metaphorically speaking, mic drop. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Well, tonight for me, today for you <laughs> um, to share. I mean, I've been a fan for years and I you can just see from the work, the amount of depth um, that goes into it, the history and the, the thought and just the in, the intention and it really has uh, your work just leaves such an impact on audiences of all ages and internationally and I, it's just so great to be able to talk to you uh, quote unquote in person live and mine your brains and your experiences a little bit for some nuggets of wisdom so thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Jen. It's really lovely to spend time with you. I love your curiosity and your energy and your insights for this form and uh, your great championing of it for the world. Thank you for that. Thanks for having us. We're honored. Hey, everyone. Itching to make your own dance films this weekend? Heidi Duckler Dance presents Map Lab, Movement, Architecture, and Production. MapLab is a brand new virtual workshop that culminates in the creation of your own virtual site-specific dance film. No previous experience or equipment needed, taking place this weekend, June 4th through 6th via Zoom. Details about this workshop can be found in the show notes. We said it once and we'll say it again. If you want to share your event on the show, click the link in the show notes to find out how. We're taking submissions for announcements until June 30th, so don't wait. I hope you enjoyed this discussion with Jen, Richard, and Karen. Next week, we will discuss generational representation in screen dance both on and off the screen and are thrilled to have Ingrid Nockstern on the show to discuss her career, work process, and development of her multi-award-winning film, Shoehorn Office. Tune in and catch you then. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at frameformpodcast at gmail.com and engage with us on social at frameformpod. That's frameform, P-O-D. If you like what you're hearing, leave a review and rate the show. It really helps out. And if you know someone who also likes dance or film, join the conversation and bring your friends. Frameform is a production of Rixie, hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Edited by the Frameform team. Mix and theme song by myself, Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.